Hello, welcome to Safer Journeys, a podcast dedicated to raising children, ending violence, and ending oppression. I am your host, Heather. I'm one of our preventionists. I've got my friend Melissa with me. That's right. I'm the Community Engagement Director at Safe Journeys, the domestic and sexual violence agency serving LaSalle and Livingston counties in Illinois. And we have a special guest with us today. Heck yeah, we do. <laughs> and it's actually one of our other prevention team members from Safe Journeys. And we are going to let Emily Simpson um, introduce herself. Well, hey there. My name is Emily. I am the K-12 preventionist here at Safe Journeys, specific to LaSalle County. Um, I would say a fun fact, because I can't introduce myself without a fun fact on here, um, is if I was describing my personality via an ice cream flavor, um, it would be moose tracks. Uh, oh. A, because it's a large animal, and I respect that, and yeah, I feel absolutely. like sometimes I'm a moose, let's be real. Um, and number two, um, it's like this, like vanilla all the way through, except for every now and then you get this explosion of crazy goodness, and you're like, what? And I feel like that best, <laughs> it's best describes me, if, if you know me. I think that's it an does. apt description for you, really. Yes. I love it. I was thinking like surprises of goodness is like what yeah. I would find in my moose tracks, and that's you. Like you're like, you know, regular, and then all of a sudden there's this yeah. extra special, delicious, awesome piece where you're like, dang, this Emily ice cream is tasty. Yes. So good. <laughs> so good. One of a kind, truly. That is very true. So You're one of a kind? Yeah, she is yeah. one of a kind. And yeah. I think, like, she started saying this, and we should probably talk about how great Emily is. Oh, yeah. And one of the reasons is because of things just like that. Like, she always has, like, a question of the day, or what flavor ice cream would you be? And... Emily is so good at turning things into teachable moments that I personally am like, there's no way she's going to get some, something teachable out of this. She just likes doing this. It's not. And then she's like, and then here's a teachable moment. And my mind explodes. So let me explain a little bit of where that comes from. I don't even know that you guys know this. Um, growing up, um, I had a mom who worked in the school systems. Her her role was at the time called a guidance counselor, which is now what we would call a social worker mm -hmm. or a counselor. Um, she recognized really early on in me that I would be classified neurodivergent at the time. Okay. Um, now now we call it ADD or ADHD. Uh, carry the H if you want to. It doesn't right. really matter. Oh, it. Like, um, but like I grew up never thinking that was a dis disorder or a deficit. Um, it was never phrased as a negative or as a takeaway. It was always phrased as just something that we needed to account for. Um, and so for that, my mom really taught me what I consider to be my superpowers of like looking at things in a different way or, you know, um, processing it in such a way that my brain's going to be able to retain the information. So Honestly, it wasn't until later in life that I realized that that's what I was doing with my questions of the day or with my teachable moments. But that's just how my brain, I taught my brain and, and my parents taught my brain to be able to capture and retain information. And so I'm very grateful to them for that. Um, but yeah, that's that's part of the history of where the craziness comes from, I think, of all the applications and uh, we, um, different points of view, maybe, if that's that's a way to say it. I love it. And like being that this podcast is like helping people care for young folks, like that is such a good thing that other caregivers can take and sort of change their perspective a little bit. That's Because right. like it 
clearly worked well for you. Yeah. And like, I, I jokingly say, I don't know how my parents didn't eat me. <laughs> and I mean that with all the love in my heart. Cause like now I've met kids who I think are very similar to yeah. what I would have been. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, can't do that. Um, so like I give them all the street cred in the world for, for making it successful. But I truly, it's been interesting to me in education, even whether it's teachers or students, if I say something to the effect of, you know, I'm a, I, I work with ADD pretty much on the regular and I get kids all the time that, that will connect with me on that. Um, but you can easily tell the students who feel like it's something that's taking away from mm-hmm. them versus being an addition. Yeah. And so it's been really fun for me to be able to be a little bit more open and a little bit more transparent about it. Only so far as that I'm seeing so many students come forward and be like, oh, gosh, that's really cool. Or, you know, hope, hopefully giving them a little bit of inspiration that the, this isn't the end of the road, so to speak. I love that so much. And um, one of the gifts that Emily brings to the classroom is this mm-hmm. piece of like bringing this experiential facilitation method of like teaching. And can you share a bit about your like outdoor recreation education experiences? And tell people what experiential facilitation yes. is. Because I know what it is only because of you, Emily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I laugh because if you would have written my story 10 years ago, I never would have found myself in prevention work. Um, I believe in it now and I know where I'm at with it. But at, at the time, my background is in recreation management. That's what I got my bachelor's of science in way back in the day. And then as I came out of that, my goal was to work at a camp. Um, I had already served several summers in camping ministry. Uh, so basically kids would come for about a week and I did everything in between uh, to make that successful. So whether that was working in the kitchens or cleaning or running games or helping uh, in the cabins. And so when I graduated college, the goal was I wanted to work uh, with kids kind of in a non-traditional educational setting and camp really seemed to be the vehicle that I like to use with that. Um, so with that being said, emerging out of recreation at the time was was what we would call low ropes. Um, low ropes, <laughs> if, if you have never seen one, um, it's a bunch of cables and uh, pulleys and tires that they string about maybe four to five feet off the ground. And then like there's some game or something that you're supposed to do with it. Um, but that has really morphed into experiential education. So most camps now have like a portable experiential education component where we use every... <laughs> Uh, I laugh only because I'm sitting next to you guys, but I use my tennis balls. Oh my gosh, she uses <laughs> right. all the time. When she first started here, <laughs> we got to tell people, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, she asked our finance guy, can I get like 50, was it 50, 50. or a, yeah, 50, like I found tennis 50 balls? tennis balls on and Amazon. And then like, yeah. and then Melissa had to like be like, yeah, no, this isn't just because she likes tennis. Like, <laughs> let me tell you who how she's going to use them because at first yeah. our finance guy was like um your new preventionist <laughs> just wants tennis balls what yeah no I took flack for that and totally I respect it but now um, like it's it's, it's your go-to yeah well yeah like, one of whether it's whether it's one tennis ball or whether it's 50 there's such an opportunity there to and and the reason that I think ex- experiential facilitation works with p- prevention um education as a whole is that we are truly trying to bridge into a topic that a lot of people um, carry prejudices towards. Yeah. And so if I was to walk up to you and and just be like, hey, what are your thoughts on X, Y, Z? Defenses go up, walls Mm -hmm. go up. And now as an educator, I have to dismantle those walls before I can even get to the stuff that we are going to talk about. And so experiential facilitation, the core of it is you're going to take a game, you're going to take something that's easily accessible to everybody. And then with that, then that's going to be your vehicle to application. 
So let's say we did a tennis ball exercise where names were being given and we had to throw it in a certain order and then we timed you. And at the end of that, um, we start talking about like what's in the power of a name because all of typically in this exercise, lots of people get really irritated with me because they, they want to drop the names. They yeah. think they can go faster. I get irritated with you sometimes during these exercises. <laughs> oh, 100%. But at the end, when you pull it together, yeah. I'm happy. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but no, I had to say yeah. like, yeah, I get, I'm like, I'm going to yell at Emily. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, and, and what's so interesting too is that it's it's meant to nettle. Mm-hmm. So like experiential facilitation is is like repeatedly putting the problem in front of you. And so for anybody who doesn't want to deal with the problem is going to get very irritated mm. very quickly. And so as you know, and, and so that adds to that role of uh, what I need to take care of and watching our participants. And, and that gives a lot of feedback to us too. But um, yeah, so experiential facilitation, taking a game and then using it as a vehicle to the application is really where we're going with it. Yeah. And I love how you debrief with them, like with reflection questions and even reflecting on if they're blaming it on you, getting them to look at themselves and like, hey, how do you work together? What do you need to accomplish the goal? Mm -hmm. Like it's not yelling at me about how this could be easier if you just let us do XYZ like um, and so I, I love the debrief and the reflection questions. Too. And that was actually a mentor of mine um, was like, um, you went through all of this work to play this game and and what a waste for you to walk away without applying it. Mm. And so uh, the the debrief is something that again, I, I, I think the more you do it, the more you you look because f- even now I, I don't know that I can write down all of my questions. I don't know that I've ever used the same debrief question twice in the same facilitation. Um, but it's it's so powerful and it's even if one person walks away with a shift in perspective, I think we've gained something out of that activity. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say it's not easy to run these games. And I'm always just so amazed when you when you do it just time after time with different uh, groups of people, no matter their age, like such ease or apparent ease, at least whether or not you feel that way. It (laughs) appears that way. Everything seems to be on a delay with me. So like I'm either in front of my filter or I'm about, you know, 48 hours behind my Mm -hmm. filter. And so typically the panic doesn't hit until about 48 hours after. And I'm like, that could have really gone the wrong way. <laughs> All right. I really could have, I could have burst into flames on you. Emma. Oh so, boy. Yeah. It's at the very... time I'm very cool about it, but afterwards yeah. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> probably won't do that again. It's very amusing to see people uh, when, when we ask if Emily can lead an activity yeah. um, specifically in our agency um, to see people go, what's the game? What are we doing? Yeah, everybody comes like almost with a little bit of a wall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or a barrier, yeah. like uh, Emily's thing again. But then they do it and they're like, that was great. I loved it. The no best was the, the last one that I got asked to do is at, a, at an all staff meeting, which is, again, pretty formal, pretty office setting based. So um, when, when you hear the words applied, like game or facilitation, everybody kind of tenses up on you. So, you know, the wall. But the best was, and this was my bad, um, I kind of mentally shook up our executive director on purpose before I did it Um, because I knew she would (laughs) I knew she's not super uh, like hasn't been around me when I'm doing my ball games or tennis ball games and so I she walks in the room and with with no preamble I'm like hey how many tennis balls can I use today (laughs) and I remember her face being like who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely it. not okay. So we ended up not even using him that day, but I enjoyed just uh, just the panicked look of like, nope, no. That's amazing. 
Um, okay. So let's dive in a little bit. First of all, of course, we're going to have a little trigger warning. Um, we're going to talk about uh, sexual violence. There might be a little bit of domestic violence in here. Um, and we're going to be talking about kiddos. So if you feel like you can't listen to this today, no big deal. You can listen to it later or you can just never listen to it again. We're not going to know. That's so. right. That's right. And our topic for today is abuse prevention in the classroom. And so we're going to be talking about prevention education in the schools. And there are state and federal mandates in place. And so obviously we deal with the state of Illinois mandates here um, serving these counties. And one of the main laws that we help schools fulfill is Aaron's Law. And if you didn't hear it yet, backtrack to episode mm-hmm. seven and check out our interview with Aaron Moran. Yes, please. Yes, who is a childhood sexual abuse survivor. And she has done amazing work at getting um, legislation written and passed. And she continues to persist. Um, she has gotten it passed in 38 states. And yep. and so just a little bit more about Aaron. She was abused by two different people. And so in that interview, we had the chance to really talk about um the dynamic of childhood sexual abuse and how it's possible for like multiple victimizations Mm -hmm. for the individual who's been abused, but also that the perpetrator um, will have multiple victims. Yeah. So. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think let's, let's give a little idea to the listeners. We're saying school-based prevention education. I always worry that we're using like our lingo. Right. Right. So. School-based prevention education is more than just giving information. Hundred percent, right? Uh, this is the, like it, it is a curriculum-based thing, so it's not like we're just walking in and being like, uh, "Here's my topics." Uh, this is something that's been scientifically researched. Multiple different SEL companies have a have a curriculum base for it. For it, um, but it the goal of this is to walk in and over a series of anywhere from three to five situations, we're talking anywhere from like physical safety. Um, so we, we talk about how like we don't play with guns, we don't we don't play with fire. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna cross the street, check both ways, you know, just the basics of how to be a good human and survive, basically. And then from there we start to build off of that that thinking into looking for trusted adults. Um, how do we report? Um, and I I probably take that to the extreme, but lots of times I will make kind of like a whiny voice um, and I'll give an example of how lots of times kids approach adults mm-hmm. with problems. And I'll ask the kids, I'm like, is that a good way for us to get good solutions on the table and every one of them is like obviously not yeah Um, it hasn't gone great so far yeah (laughs) Um, but what's really then empowering and part of why this this uh, material is so critical is we then teach them how to talk to adults about some stuff that even adults don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. um, and talking about what does body language mean how do you be assertive with your body how do you be assertive with your words Mm -hmm. Um, but then also allowing the adult to have a human moment so like sometimes we think mom or dad's going to be really mad at me and they look really mad but really they're just processing too so let's give them a few few minutes here to kind of catch up with what you've just shared with them and then start asking those questions that we teach of like what's next who can help me how do I stay safe that sort of thing um so absolutely we're teaching body autonomy we're teaching body parts to a certain extent and I'll get into that later but um I think there's I think we have vastly underestimated our students when it comes to understanding um, language and body language. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, technology, I think, has hurt us, too, insofar as that. But 
Um, what I've seen in the classroom is that these students are really receptive and ready to learn how to, how to read nonverbal language as well as how to use the, the words they have to yeah. get good results. So I don't know if that's where you were going with it, but that's, that was my two cents. I mean, on that it. was definitely a piece of it. Right, right. Cause it really hits on those like recognizing like what something is, mm -hmm. right? Whether that's the bodily autonomy piece and like what consent is, which actually like we don't even really use the word consent no, in the really. younger classes because all of this is developmentally and age appropriate. Um, mm -hmm. information. And so we're meeting them where they are um, based on their development level. And then how to spot abuse and then what to do if you experience abuse, which is what you were referring to, especially with reporting yeah. to their trusted adults right. and knowing who those people are. And I think that's really powerful and puts power back into their hands, especially if they've been experiencing abuse. Um, yeah. Just yeah. Empowerment. Know. That's right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. That's right. So and Emily... Do you just stand in front of these kids and talk to them? I mean, we already know, right? You just talked about your experimental experiential facilitation. But what I was trying to get at is, could you tell the different mod or modes of teaching just quickly? Like, sure. So, like, uh, uh, a lot of my college graduate uh, peers um, were taught uh, the format of like. Um, you, you stand in front of the class, you teach the lesson, and then it's regurgitation, right? right? Like the kids are supposed to come back out with that. I struggle with that mainly because that's my brain doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So obviously that didn't work. Um, but I would say I approach it from, from my background, which was non-traditional education. So I've taught a lot of outdoor education. I've taught a lot of like large animal safety classes to kids yeah. and that sort of thing. And so truly you're still teaching. It's just you're teaching in a different way or in a different, you're hoping for a different um, kind of um, adaptation or absorption level mm -hmm. from the kids. And if I was, <laughs> the I asked myself questions, which again, that's the other fun fact about Emily <laughs> is I always, always have questions, um, is that I question myself quite a bit when I'm in front of kids is I'm like, if I was sitting out there, would I want to listen to this? Yeah. Um, if, if I was using this tone of voice, would I be, could I listen? Could I follow along with what you're saying? And so lots of what I'm doing is as a teacher, I feel it's my job to watch their, their faces. I can tell you which kids with me, which kids not with mm -hmm. me. I can tell you when I've lowered my voice to a lower register than, than what's acceptable. I can tell you, uh, if I need to go up or like words per minute wise, how many I need to be using to keep them with me. Yeah. Um, the, the best yesterday was I got a question of like, do you drink caffeine? Ms. Emily? <laughs> <You're> like, uh. <laughs> so, but it was, it, and again, what a platform for me to be able to say, Hey man, I really don't drink a ton of caffeine. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm really trying to get you to stay with me. Yeah. And for that individual, it really was an eye opening thing for him. He really enjoyed having that conversation with me. So, um, but also like, I, you know, whispering is such a powerful thing. I know that this is probably not where you're going with it, but like when I modulate my voice, right? Like, so I, I can, when I'm in the classroom, I'm really loud. Melissa will tell you this. Like they have to like close multiple doors. <laughs> they're like, oh, geez, Emily's like, here. Like they don't even know who I am. And they're like, oh, that lady's back. Like shut the doors. Um, but uh, it, modulating that volume is such a simple thing. And yet it, the retention levels go up when we modulate mm. those. Okay. Um, how, like I've had to learn how to use my hands mm -hmm. because some hand engagement is what they want. Um, but truly, if I'm if I'm waiting for a question, I've had to teach myself to keep my hands at my side 
um, because anything else than that is going to cue them that either I'm impatient or I don't want the answer or whatever. So I've really had to teach myself to be very still when I'm waiting for an answer from a child. Um, so to me, it's not just a cut and dry, yeah. here's your lesson plan, you know, right. follow X, Y, Z. It's I want this to be as engaging as possible because, again, retention is what we're going for if I'm – if at least that's what I'm I'm hunting for. Heck yeah. Well, absolutely. And and that's where because you have their attention, because you're able to meet them where they are, that's when you can build skills. That's when you can empower them with the information you want them to have um and and start changing some even social norms because you're changing the way they believe that adults can meet them where they are. Now they've had that experience with you and it's possible. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I actually, so you all know that I'm going to talk about a study, right? Love it. Sorry. <laughs> yes. No, um, do it. I'm, I'm so jazzed. It, yeah. It'll be super quick. Um, recently, the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, released some information about uh, internet-based abuse in children. And in this report, they said that the school-based prevention models are extremely beneficial. Uh, and and previously it was like, is this working? Is it not working? We think it's working. You know, there's just really no way to, to say it. But like uh, this guy was talking about how, you know, we get more access to kids when they're in school and we're not just getting access to them. We're accessing their caregivers, their teachers, their parents, their grandparents, their big brothers, their sisters, whomever. So we're really encompassing. We're not just strictly educating, you know, that class of second graders. It's everyone. That's right. it's, and it's everyone surrounding that child. So it, it, it can be extremely impactful. And here at Safe Journeys, a huge portion of our prevention team is working in these K through 12 classrooms. That's right. Yeah. And even tagging on a, li a little bit to that, that I, um, we just talked yesterday, I had a third grade and a fourth grade class that we talked about cyberbullying. Mm. Um, and it was really interesting to me because um, as soon I said, hey, guys, let's pause that conversation. And I just said, why don't you tell me what games, apps, platforms you're using right now? Me being naive, being like, and by the way, I used to call it roadblocks. It's not. It's, oh, yeah. It's Roblox, mm -hmm. just so everybody knows. Yeah. Just clarifying in <laughs> case yeah. anybody else was lost out there. Um, Roblox, Fortnite, that's kind of what I was anticipating. But I would say at least 30 to 40% of every class had Snapchat, mm -hmm. TikTok, and something mm -hmm. else. And so we actually talked about how scary it is that they can do more than my power structure can protect. And oh, so yeah. that's why parents and, and people like Miss Emily get so scared when you come to us with, with stuff that's happened online is that I'm still learning. I'm still adapting to what you already consider to be a space. Yeah. And so, but it was really probably the best eye-opening experience I've seen that, that like the kid was like, oh, that's why you get upset. That's why that fear response is there. And you're like, yeah, it's not because I think you're in trouble. It's not because I want to take away your phone. It's because the access level uh, that you've now opened the door to, I, I am struggling as your adult, as your protector, to be the one to find all those doors and shut them in order to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, but they did such a great job of, of hearing me and, and communicating back like what their frustrations were, why they wouldn't come forward. But I think in particular, sexting is something that's coming up in cyberbullying yeah. that like adults, whether it be parents, caregivers, or educators, like 
we have to be, we have to, A, number one, quit being scared of the word. Oh, gosh, um, yeah, absolutely. And we have to understand the full meaning of what that is because, you know, when I'm in a classroom, a K through 12 class, or, or excuse me, a K through 2 classroom, and I'm teaching child protection unit, which is private body parts or private body parts. Um, and then I get up into a fourth grade classroom and I say, hey, if somebody sends you a private body part picture, and what was really sad in, in this instance was I had about three or four of them drop drop eye contact with me, which normally indicates mm. either they know it's happened, it's happened to a brother or sister, or, or hopefully not, but it might have happened directly to them. And so it's just like, come on, guys, we've got to, as as educators, as gatekeepers, yeah. we have got to start educating ourselves because... Our, the question is not whether our kids are educated with it. It's whether they have our safety measures in place right. to help yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So should we talk about some of the things that we go through in these classrooms? Yeah. So some of the classroom content. So first of all, you had mentioned, you know, the rules that are like the never, never rules, right? Which right. I know you didn't use that language yet. However, it's the ones that like, the safety rules of everyday life. Right. Um, and, and what we're getting ready to kind of pull into is we use Second Steps. Um, that's the curriculum company that we utilize. There are others out there. So by no means do you think, like, don't don't sit out there and assume that this is all going to be factual. Like, it is factual, but it's also written by a company. So anything close to this, anything similar to this, um, I you know, there's different companies out there that are writing SEL curriculum or social emotional learning curriculum. So that's specific right. to Second Steps, this is going to be the eight never never rules um and i i call them the common sense rules sometimes when i'm in front of the kids um their favorite one tends to be the dog one we don't mm -hmm. pet a dog we don't know without asking yep um and just a shameless plug for me i'm really hoping we can get a, a dog that is able to go to schools with us uh so that we can help practice this all right funders this yeah. is miss emily asking for right. <laughs> a dog to take with her to the classroom that's right i've been doing my research but uh right now we have a dog a uh, puppet dog excuse me that it, i did not name so before the haters hate um <laughs> i don't think the adults are gonna hate on it as much as the kids it's do. not very original uh -huh. not at all and the kids get very upset i by know it. but the, the the puppet's name is puppy yeah so puppy the puppet dog goes with us into classes and they really enjoy and during covid i would do the puppet behind my mask so my mask was on and i was talking and it happened that i went to a school and i it was the first time we could not wear masks again and and so i took it off and i was doing the dog and they're like that you lied yeah no. oh i was like oh 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 okay help me with this and they were like no where's the voice of the dog um, and so because they couldn't see my mouth moving yeah. when I had been doing it previously and then I was doing and they, so then we had to talk about what a puppet was and how I was oh not a ventriloquist. Like, this was not where I planned on going, but okay, here we go. Yeah. So anyway, they, they called me out on that, but yeah. So no, yeah. So I they, like that. That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, it's reasonable. Yeah. Like they didn't know, How would they have known? Yeah. 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 No, it makes complete sense. So, but the child protection unit is covered of five, five sessions. There is a sixth um, that we can do, but the first one is the eight never, never rules and just kind of good humanity lessons. Second one is um, always ask first, um, which is always ask your adults or person in charge. Um, and I, I break that down into three things before you go somewhere, before you do something new or different, or before you eat something. Um, the last one, as far as eating, we are, we are trying to introduce the idea that mouth are private body parts yeah. as well um, but also it's interesting when I have this conversation with kids that they will say stuff like like I'll ask about medicine or I'll ask about their gummy vitamins um, 
And, you know, there's kind of a hesitation there of like, well, it's just part of my daily routine. Mm -hmm. But we talk about how once you put it in your body, it is far more difficult, if not impossible, to separate that back out from your body. Yeah. So it's a big deal. So, yeah, it's annoying to ask mom every time you want to eat some fruit snacks. But there's a reason behind why we want that as far as especially with your mouth goes. New or different is just anything outside of their normal routine. If you want to go ride your bike, if you want to play with a new board game or slime um, or go down a new aisle at the grocery store, those are things that you need to ask for. And then before you go someplace, um, friend's house, water park, park, um, any place. And we ask, I ask at least, what would happen if you just took off there and didn't tell mom or dad where you were going? And we talk about those big emotions um, and why mom or dad might be feeling them if that's the case. Um, And so anyway, they're they're far more willing to use the always ask first. And we have fun hand motions for that, by the way, because like, you can repeat this until you're blue in the face and still not get a kid to remember it, but you yeah. put a hand motion to it and suddenly magically it's like, or a oh, song. No, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So we, we, you put your hands on top of your head, then your shoulders, and then you hold out a number one when you say always ask first. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. And then the never nevers have a song that goes with it. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to sing it. I'm not asking it. <laughs> I'm just, was just confirming that yes indeed yeah um i am not a singer i don't know if anybody's picked up on that in the register of my voice but um the uh eight never never songs i will play it and we play the game of catching the eights as they go by okay so like i get retention meaning they're with me in the song but i also (laughs) do not have to sing it so yeah that's that is smart (laughs) try to to work around it especially keeping your voice as well because i tend to sing and dance and then there it goes (laughs) like my voice is gone but yeah Thank you for sharing about putting it on your body because um, my daughter hasn't had you in class because she's in a different school district. Um, But um, her teacher is the one that talked to me about like putting the different syllables of a word on on their body and and like sounding it out. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just I had never broken words down like that before like phonetically either Mm, and so she taught me something new and this was in parent teacher conferences and I was just like wow and Sophia was in the conference with us and so she had Sophia put it on her body for me and I was like oh my gosh this is really neat and that's actually like Sophia's learning how to read and that's like yeah she'll break it down by syllable and things and I'm like wow this is amazing so so just the retention and understanding that comes with putting it on your body like they know always ask first in their bones now. Yeah. And I mean, we don't spend a ton of time talking about this because again, I think this is more for the classroom teachers than it is for us. But like there is, there is a lot of scientific research out there on different learning types. Um, And so you do have your auditory, you do have your written, um, but you also have your kinetic. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the irony is, I think we're learning that that's less of a style and more of just an assumption that we need to make of anybody under the age of five, their learning style is going to incorporate movement of some kind. So that's just a, that's just a power tool for us to be able to come in and be able to get that retention with that age bracket. But absolutely. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Well, and I think it also plays into our next rules that we teach in the classroom on the following weeks, and like going into the touching rule, if they've already started to put some of this stuff on their body, they're already making the connection to like their body, these safety rules. And then we start to talk about the types of touch. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, I've kind of changed this up, actually. I don't know if you, I, I think Melissa has heard this, but I'm not sure. I used to kind of come at it from unsafe touch because kids are 
very mindful of they know what an unsafe touch is. Mm -hmm. So I used to start there, but now I start with a safe touch. So we talk about hugs. We talk about high fives, holding hands, arms around backs, snuggles, cuddles, kisses on the forehead when you're getting tucked in, that sort of thing. And then I transition to um, unwanted. Um, And the way that I teach unwanted right now is that we stand up together and we tap the top of our head and we say from the top of our head and then we bend down and to the tip of our toes and then we stand up and I have the kids put the thumbs into their body and say, it's my body. Mm -hmm. And we do that a couple of times over and over again. So from the top of my head to the tip of my toes, it's my body. And then we talk about how it can be a safe touch for anybody else. But if it's you and for whatever reason in this moment in time, you're like, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. We get to use our no stops. And I should backtrack just a little bit. I also teach angry crossing guard as a refusal. So I teach kids how to put their hand out in front of them like they're a crossing guard. And then I ask them to kind of make a serious face or a grumpy face. And we talk about what kind of voice they're going to use when they speak like that, that it's not yelling or screaming. But um, most of the time they should sound like their teacher when yeah. their teacher's asking them to, to do something pretty serious. Um, and so like what happens if grandpa's trying to give you a kiss when you go over there? Um, And how do you say no to that? Um, We also talk about exchanges. So, hey, grandpa, I don't want to kiss right now, but how about a hug instead? Mm -hmm. Um, And so like that's powerful to them too, because that again gives them control to say what that autonomy to say what they are okay with. And then we also use this as an opportunity to talk about adults who don't listen, um, who don't validate that child. And so we talk about how like you can repeat Um, If you're bold enough, repeat to grandpa, hey, grandpa, I said no, um, or grandma or whoever it is. Um, But then the other part to that is I I use the question of have we only talked about one trusted adult in this class? And typically there's a flicker of confusion of like, well, (laughs) sure. Um, But then we list them out, right? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, stepmom, stepdad, aunts, uncles, babysitters, teachers, principals, bus drivers, all of the above. So you have way more than just one person that loves and cares for you. And so if that if that grandma or grandpa is violating you, make sure that you go to another trusted adult and say, hey, I need some help. So, yeah, so unsafe touch uh, is when they hurt your body. We talk about that, too. And then all of this leads us into private body parts. We know this language. Yeah. And other people might not. So I, I wanted to clarify. So the touching rules starts with teaching body autonomy. Is that correct? Well, we're not even really to the touching rule yet. Okay. Um, So the touching rule is really set up by talking about types of touches. Okay. So the types of touches that we teach, there's three, um, is safe. Mm -hmm. Safe touch is supposed to make you feel loved and cared for. Okay. So hugs, high fives, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Unsafe is when somebody uses their body to hurt your body. Okay. Um, so, and it has to be a type of touch. So like sometimes kids will be like, you threw the truck at me. Sure. Yeah. That's a bad choice and certainly unsafe, but that, that's not a type of touch. Mm. So we have to like go back a little bit there too. Um, and then the last type that we talk about is unwanted, meaning that the kid has full autonomy of their body to say what happens. Okay. So yeah, those are the types of touches that we teach. Okay. So you said this is the, the, preface or the setting of the stage then for the touching role yeah so we want them to understand what those touches look like so that when we come into the conversation of a broken touching rule Mm -hmm. they have that foundation to be able to build off of cool so tell us then miss emily (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and by the way, that's what I go by in the classroom. So if which I is, reference which myself. Which is why I say Miss Emily. I'm not just like uh, yep. being weird and calling my colleague Miss Emily. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's fine if you do. But um, I, I do want to clarify. I think it's really important. I grew up um, 
being told that I had to use last names. Mm. Um, and I lost a little bit of connection yeah. as, with certain teachers because yeah. of that, because they were more concerned about me being in the prepper respectful space than it was about a relationship. And so it was really intentional for me when I started teaching that I wanted them to know my first name because again, it's a reciprocity, right? It's, it's the opportunity for me to be a human, but also for them to see and be able to access me differently. Yeah, um, so, that. so anyway, that's, that's kind of a side note. To no, that, I think that's, that's why a good I picked thing. Miss Emily versus my, my last name. I think that's great. And it made me think as you're speaking, um, an, an influencer that we both watch. I am Mr. Luke. Yes. <laughs> Shout out Mr. Luke. What, what? If All those fun plants? Love I know. It. If you are in the education world, yeah. take a look at his, I look at his Instagram. I'm sure he has Facebook and TikTok, but I am Mr. Luke. Um, and he goes by his, his students call him Luke. Yeah, yeah, they do, and I, he and it's pre K class. I'm pretty sure. So he's got yeah, some little it's, kids. It's yeah. pretty little, mm -hmm. I, at least based on the things that he shares from what he's done in class. Correct. But yeah, I, I I appreciate you sharing that aspect because I feel the same way. And I was actually talking with some college level educators recently, and we we're saying that's like dressing up thing that we have to do. This looking professional kind of separates us. Um, from our students. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think that uh, this is an entirely another podcast, but like talking about like the psychology behind why we do what we do. Yeah. And how we choose to do it, I think definitely has ramifications. Yeah. Sometimes those are positive. Sometimes those are detracting. And I think we really need to do some evaluations on those sometimes, uh, especially when it comes to teaching. Cool. Um, but the, the touching rule that we teach is that... Um, Nobody should touch your private body parts except to keep you healthy. Mm -hmm. Now, for the very littles, so the pre-K kids, we teach nobody bigger than you should touch your private body parts. Okay. Um, but I'm whether I teach that rule or the healthy rule, I'm really clear on that. It doesn't matter if it's another student or another adult. They unless they are unless you are really sick and mom and dad are helping put you in and out of the shower or put mm -hmm. you on the toilet that sort of thing. Nope. Yeah. No other adult sure. needs to do it. And I'll, I mean, I'm very intentional to say, should a coach touch your private body parts? Should a teacher, should mm -hmm. a pastor? Um, because in all honesty, no. And, and we'll, we'll go back to like, Hey, some of you might have baby sisters or baby brothers and you know that they are incapable. They cannot uh, clean themselves. So this is an opportunity for us to very use our power judiciously, right? Yeah. Um, to clean them up and help them. But once we get to the point that we know how to go to the bathroom ourselves, and once we know how to turn the water on and off ourselves, the fewer and fewer people who should ever have access to it. And I thought it was really insightful. I had a, um, a second grader raise their hand uh, pretty recently and say, but Miss Emily, what if we don't feel comfortable when the doctor's touching our private body mm, parts? Good question. And I love that. I was, I, I, yeah. Um, uh, anyway, like uh, my sister was big into gymnastics. So like the Nair, Larry Nasser yes, case and all of this, yes. like that, that abuse of power is, is, is very mindful. And so I didn't go into that with her. I just said, you know, I think that would be a great time to talk to mom or dad or whoever's in charge at home to say, can you be with me? Sure. Um, or what do you need to do to protect yourself mm -hmm. in that situation? Um, so, but it was a really insightful question from a second grader that I was really proud of. Um, no, I think about. that's extremely insightful and I'm not sure as a second grader, I would have had that, that thought. I, yeah. Yeah. I like that she was, or they were able to articulate like that. 
feeling they had and um, they express it to you and then try to figure it out. Because I wonder too, like, could it just be that the doctor really needs to say like what's going to happen next and let it be an informed consent thing? Like it could be as simple as that. I think too, with, with, I guess from, from side conversations that she had with me as we were kind of wrapping up that day, I think to her, her doctor may be a male Mm, and it was a, it was a a female child. And so I think there was a natural kind of discomfort of like, I know that this type, like this guy shouldn't be now as a doctor, I I fully empower him to make the best healthcare decisions for her as he can. But certainly something that I don't think she felt comfortable expressing or that she had felt like she had a platform for up until then. Right. Um, So hopefully that really empowered her to go home and talk to mom or dad about what was going on and, um, get her some help that direction anyway. Yeah, that's great. Well, and so I won't go into the part of the touching rule that talks about the private body parts and how we teach that in this episode. Okay. Next episode, we're going to go into that a bit. Perfect. So let's switch over to secrets, our final rule that we talk about, um, never keep secrets. And so Um, We talked quite a bit in our grooming episodes about how predators really test the kid's ability to keep a secret in different ways. And um, and so can you tell us about how you teach this rule? Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, sometimes this gets kind of combined just because of the nature of how much time we have in the classrooms. But it's really an interesting one because... Sometimes kids could care less when you say it, and other times they are just on bated breath waiting for all of the information. But we, the rule says that we don't keep secrets about touching. I've expanded that to kind of say we really don't, we really shouldn't be keeping secrets for adults in general anyway. Yeah. And we'll, we'll define surprises. We'll say surprises are short typically shorter in duration, and they typically bring joy. So we say parties and presents and things like that. And then, I, then I'll then i ask the question, you know, like what do secrets kind of make us feel like inside? And lots of kids will be like, well, uncomfortable, yeah. heavy, icky, you know, or I can't talk to anybody about that or somebody's going to get in trouble. And so we talk about how like adults should have other avenues of being able to take care of those things, and it shouldn't be on those shoulders oh, gosh, to, yeah. to bear that. And then we'll go back into the conversation on that we don't keep it specifically about touching and this is really hitting home this week just because in the last two weeks this has come up several times for me um, in real life of a child walked something out for two years before she said something up until this class came around and again for the listeners out there I see these kids about four times once a week for four weeks um, and then I don't see them again the rest of the school year so as far as like trustworthy faces go I, I hope that I have one but like I'm not the m- most accessible yeah um, by any means but um, to, to see this child come forward and the way it happened was I had said hey sometimes when people ask us to keep secrets about touching they won't use the word secrets they'll make it a threat mm-hmm. like they'll threaten you or something you love or somebody you love or they'll offer to buy you something or give you something in exchange for keeping it a secret and I said whether they use the word secret or not these are all them attempting to try to keep you quiet and so we don't keep secrets about touching and this is the hard part that I'm, I'm still working on as an educator is that how do you teach kids that, yes, we want them to be true to their word, but in this case, I teach them, hey, sometimes you're going to have to say yes to something, even even though inside your brain you're like, nope, I'm going to go find the next trusted adult that I know who can help me um, because we just can't keep secrets about this. And I'll even say something to the effect of, 
this type of touch doesn't stop until we get somebody involved to help it stop. Um, but anyway, uh, the child did choose to come forward. The child was, was concerned for a pet, um, had Aww. asked me, the question was if, if an abuser would hurt an animal um, to keep oh, them no. quiet. Oh, no, you know that means that it's happening at yeah. home. Ugh, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, it, it is unfortunate, um, but uh, rewarding insofar as that this child now has, has come forward and is seeking help and um, man, I just couldn't be prouder of the courage and the bravery it took for that kid to come forward. But this is exactly why prevention education stands as, as it does. Um, because again, I'll go back to the term gatekeeper. That's not on our list, but I want to make sure I speak on it. Mm-hmm. Um, our job as, as adults is we're gatekeepers. It's my job to make sure that what we're entering into is a safe space for those kids. Yeah. And I take that responsibility really hard or, or seriously. Um, I've trained staff in the past, especially for those camping and hospitality organizations. And the stuff that keeps me up at night is the predators that have made it through my training Yeah. because they can use that against those kids. Um, and so the hope and the prayer here is that again as gatekeepers it's my job to be informed and he, and whether you like me or not in the moment is irrelevant because it's my job to keep as many things um, away from you that could harm you or take away from who you are and so I think that's the core of what I do as a prevention educator is whether it's teaching other adults to be gatekeepers or teaching kids about those gates there and why they're there. No Emily that's great and when you're talking about it, you know, you're hitting the topics we talked about on these last two, uh, the, the previous episodes on grooming. Yes. And we even see in one of the, you know, advice from predators is that they will, they'll be tricky. They break the touching rule and that they're going to ask you to keep secrets. Yeah. So I think it's extremely valuable. Good. I'm glad. But yeah, grooming is is an intense thing that is definitely uh, impacting what we're doing in the classrooms. And mainly because I think everybody assumes it's some guy hiding in the bushes yeah, waiting yeah. to attack you. And in reality, it is somebody who you would never imagine. I know. Um, it it yeah. drives me bonkers that and I, I know we've talked about this in other episodes, so I won't talk too much. But in that WHO report I was mentioning, yes. they also discussed how stranger danger really did a disservice. And that the idea behind it was it's a quicker, easier way to teach it. But this is not something we can do quick and easy. Right. We need to engage. We need to skill build. We need to empower, you know, all these yeah. different types of things. Yeah. 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 Emily, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode, too. I know I tend to say seeing. I guess it's hearing. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing yeah, her. Yeah. We have some media we love this week. Do you want to share yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So um, the media we love is a book. It's a children's book by Janine Sanders. And it's called Some Secrets Should Never Be Kept. Emily, you te- you read this in class, correct? Yeah, sometimes, 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 I, sometimes. I, I tend to get backed up just because I'm trying to do lots of things. But yes, this is a really great book to read in the classroom. So it's suitable, you know, they say from three to 12 years. I think that's a more that's a bigger age range than I would even say. It seems like it's a little younger, but whatever, it's fine. Um, and it's age appropriate, of course. the The child in the book experiences um, a, an unsafe or unwanted or both really mm-hmm. touch, um, and he eventually tells his trusted adult. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. What do you, do you like this book? Are you happy with it? I do. Um, I think there's a, uh, this is one thing that I've spoken with Melissa about, and hopefully we can do a podcast episode just strictly on maybe five or so books that we sure. use repetitively. Um, but like, I think there's a, a, a big stigma um, in public education in particular that we can't talk about this um, or that if they introduce it, it's going to spiral out of outside of their control. And so books like this, I think are so empowering for teachers. I mean, yes to the students. Students, but it's an empowering to a teacher because I can still talk about this. I can still make sure it's a safe space for my kids, but I also don't have to tread into that deep water space that I'm so scared that I'm going to not have an answer for. So yeah, books like this are, are really powerful and certainly something that I don't think you have to regulate just to classroom use. Um, oh, no. If you yeah. are a parent and a caregiver that has somebody in this space, um, this is a great book to read at home. Um, you know, my nephews, we read books at night before they go to bed. And, and this was this is certainly cert- something I would read with them. Oh, yeah. I'm putting it. I have quite a long list of books for my niece and nephew, um, which is the yeah. only presents they get from me are books related to right. things I want them to learn. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I also I, I looked into this a little just for this podcast. They actually have a website that has some activities and some support resources as well for um, any teachers or parents who want to go through that with their kiddos. And I would just challenge adults. Sometimes we, we throw off the whole like support quote unquote and be like, Oh, I don't have time for that. Yeah. So busy. Yeah. And I, please hear me. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But what's so interesting about specifically teaching body autonomy and assertiveness is that it, it rarely looks like what you think it's going to look like. Mm. So like looking at that support material, it might be something innocuous to you. But man, when you teach it or like model it with your kid, how much excuse me, I'm going to use the wrong word here, but like damage you can do to the grooming industry. Oh, sure. Just by teaching your kids uh-huh. simple things of, of owning and loving themselves. Um, so th- these support things, yes, sometimes you can brush them off, but I would, I would highly encourage anybody to go there and look at it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And seriously, thank you again for being on our podcast and uh, join us next time for part two of school-based prevention, where we are going to talk about internet safety, boundaries, and private body parts. And thanks so much for listening. Keep listening to hear about support resources and how to contact us. Look out for new podcasts every other Monday on anywhere that you can find your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Anchor FM, you name it. We're there. If you have any questions and we would love to hear from you, you can email us at saferjourneyspod at safejourneysillinois.org. You can also message us on social media. We have a Facebook and an Instagram that you can find us at. And let's talk about some resources for anyone who's experiencing abuse. If you happen to live in and around LaSalle or Livingston County in Illinois, please feel free to call Safe Journeys Support Line at 815-673-1555-247. Confidential services are free. If you don't happen to be in our, our area, there are two national hotlines that you can call for support. For sexual violence, you can call RAIN with two N's. That's the National Sexual Violence Hotline. Their phone number is 800-656-HOPE. They also have a live chat on their website if you're interested. And for domestic violence or intimate partner abuse, you can call The Hotline, which is simply thehotline.org. And this is our national domestic violence hotline. And you can give them a call at 800-799-SAFE or chat live on the website. Thanks for listening.